Hello and welcome to another episode of the Main Street Preps podcast. I'm your host, Russell Venozzi, and today we've got a very special guest with me, Tyler Palmatier. He's our new Nashville High School sports reporter for Main Street Preps and Main Street Nashville. Tyler, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Russell. It was nice to hear you pronounce your name because I've known you for a few months, but I think in my mind I always had it pronounced differently. So, Venozzi. I think I was always, in my brain, I was always saying Venozzi. It trips everybody up, but really, it's just, if you think of a minivan, it's a van, an O, and a Z. There's just some extra letters thrown in there. Yeah. I mean, my name's not much easier, so. Right. Yeah. I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah. Tyler has been with us for about a week now, um, and we figured with everybody snowed in, and there's, we're not really covering a whole lot of sports, at least for the next couple of days, we figured we'd introduce him and get to know him a little bit and also talk some high school basketball. So, Tyler, I know... Uh, How's everything going for you so far? You got to Nashville in the summer. You left your job in Oklahoma. You came here in the middle of a pandemic. I know that's uh, it was just a crazy year for everybody, but especially for you with moving and everything. Mm -hmm. Just take me through that and, and how you got to Nashville. Yeah, I got here in July, and I was already planning to move here, uh, actually in May or in March. Um, something The timeline was early spring, but so I was actually planning to move to Nashville. My girlfriend had been living here and does live here. But the, the Monday morning I was planning to go in and you know leave my job was really when the pandemic, the, the national lockdown started. It was the, I mean, it could not have been timed any, any more perfect for it with the time I was going to quit. So my job. So I, we put that on hold for a little bit. And ultimately I, I just, I moved here in July to, you know, we, we had a plan and we ended up sticking to it. And when it was safe and able to do, and we were able to get that done. So um, now I'm, I am settled in here and as much as I can be after, what, seven, eight months. But uh, yeah, I guess a little bit about my background. I mean, I was in, in Oklahoma. I, I spent really most of about 10 years in local news. Uh, the first couple, my first couple jobs were uh, rural papers, covered high school sports. And in 2017, uh, the Norman transcript needed an OU football beat writer. And was blessed to get that job. And then I was, after about a year, I became the Norman Transcript sports editor and OU beat writer. So took on another role there, which was pretty uh, demanding at times. But yeah, it's just, and I mean, I just, I have always had a passion for high school sports. People, I think sometimes maybe underestimate how important they are to communities and, you know, covering a college beat is a blast, but uh, even a sports editor, I never really forgot about the high school side. I mean, it was always really important to our readership to to keep to keep really close tabs on that. So this, you know, I what I got connected with you uh, in August, September, I think through um, through Corey at Williamson homepage. Possibly, I don't remember exactly how we got connected, but I yeah, I showed up in Na in Nashville without a job. You know, I was blessed to be in a situation where I didn't need a full-time job right away. So I, I went into a, you know, a freelancing mode and you were one of the first people to give me some work. Uh, I think Corey connected us and uh, we started there, did some stuff for Corey and for you and the Tennessean. And yeah, it was, could not have been happier uh, about three, four weeks ago when, when you reached out to me and, and told me about this full-time position that, that Main Street Media had and what we're, I'm excited to get our pro our, uh, our product launched here. It's, not, it's coming up. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's been well, pretty quick. Two weeks away now, but yeah, we're we're thrilled to have you, <laughs> wow. Tyler. I'm I'm glad it worked out and that you were able to get through that kind of chaotic year of moving and uncertainty and everything. But yeah, like you said, we are launching Main Street Nashville here uh, at the beginning of March. Monday, March first is actually going to be the launch day. And just to give people background, you're probably thinking, you know, what is Main Street Nashville? If you if you're familiar with this podcast and, and our brand, our media brand here in Middle Tennessee, Main Street Media, you know, we have a number of Newspapers throughout the area, Hendersonville, Gallatin, Murfreesboro, Dixon, Robertson County, kind of all over the metro area. But we didn't really have anything in Nashville, per se. We didn't have kind of a flagship publication. It was mostly suburban and smaller smaller surrounding cities. That's going to change. Now we are going to have a five-day-per-week e-newspaper in Nashville. And it's going to pull content, of course, from those other areas, whatever is newsworthy. But it's also going to cover Nashville and everything going on there. And it, like I said, five days per week, e-newspaper, not going to be printed anywhere, but of course there'll be an up, a website and social media pages that are updated daily. So it'll essentially function like a daily news outlet. And then you'll have kind of that opportunity to, you know, get out your tablet or your phone and uh, flip through the flip through the pages just like you would if it was a, a print newspaper, kind of without all the hassle of delivery and printing and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that frees us up to do some different things that are, that are happening do some different things from what is what is happening in the market right now. Um, you know, with early deadlines and stuff, obviously the daily newspaper, I'm sure you experience some of that in Norman. It's just, it's, it's a difficult thing to pull off now, um, especially with the digital first movement and everything. So we're hoping to, uh, to be part of the trend there moving, moving with the e-newspapers and uh, we'd love for you to check out the website. It's mainstreetnash.com. A lot more to come on this in the, in the coming weeks and everything. We we're just kind of getting everything set up, but just want to, Get the bug in everybody's ear for that. There will be a free trial that you can try it out for a month before you have to pay anything for it. Definitely check that out and be on the lookout in a couple of weeks. But- yeah, and it's if for people, if you haven't seen the, uh, if anyone hasn't seen the website, it's it's a very attractive, easy to use website. And the Russell and the the e edition is um, they're both really good digital tools for people who want to read news. Uh, I was really impressed by the the website format, and there's been there's been a lot of effort. And, and thought and, and money put into the technology side of this. And I was really impressed when I was looking over it. I think people are, are really going to like it um, once they get a chance to really check out that whole you know, digital suite of product, products. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. And, and the website mm-hmm. is modeled, it's got a similar design to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I believe. Uh, it was kind of mm-hmm. like the inspiration. I really like their website. I thought it was a clean, smooth look. So um, we've got mm-hmm. that. And then yeah. The digital edition too is going to be, the technology there is the same company used by the New York Times and a bunch of other big outlets. So it should be, uh, should be pretty cool. We get that rolling. And um, Tyler, I know you've had, you've been here for, you said seven or eight months, but you're covering Nashville high school sports now. Have you, have you had a chance to get a lay of the land a little bit? And I guess what, what are some of your early, yeah. maybe of kind of the, the city and, and the high school sports scene here? Yeah. Um, I'll start with just kind of the city. I mean, it's because, uh, because of COVID, you know, it's, I haven't really seen Nashville in all her glory yet. Um, I've, I've visited a couple times pre-COVID, so I, I do know that it, you know, it's it's a bustling place. Um, but I think, I mean, Tennessee is just a beautiful state. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma is a, a beautiful place too in its own right, but Tennessee is a different kind of animal. So many hills and trees, and um, I think Nashville is a beautiful city. I I kind of made McCabe Golf Course my home track for a while, it's not too far for me. So I love going to McCabe and I've had fun getting used, uh, kind of familiarizing myself with 
the area and getting, I, I kind of know where I'm going now. I'm pretty good directionally. So it's so nice to kind of know where I'm at as opposed to the first few weeks where your head's spinning a little bit when you're in a new place and you're on your maps all the time. Well, also um, the, the problem here too is that there's three interstates and they all intersect. And so you, it took me a minute. There's an area in the loop where I'm pretty sure you could technically say you're on three. You could, you could pick any of the three interstates and you could say you're on it. So I remember when we moved here, we just, we got lost really bad. Well, but the good, the good thing about that, I guess if you're in, if you're in the loop, the 440 loop and you take a wrong exit, um, unless you go like I 40 West, you know, you start heading out, out of the loop. You're, you can always kind of get back to where you need to go. If you were to take a wrong exit, I feel like when you're on that, 440 loop you're going to be able to get back to somewhere because everything kind of circles around and yeah. as long as you don't veer too far off if you were to remain on the loop like you said within 10 minutes you could you could get your exit so that, mm -hmm. stay on the loop yeah that would be my advice somehow uh <laughs> just keep taking lefts the yeah. minute you take a, a two a right you're going to be heading probably to you know what huntsville or memphis or right. chattanooga or you know louisville or something like that but no, I mean, I love the I love the city. I'm a music lover and I'm a sports lover, and like I've just learned that this town does uh, has plenty of people like that. I love the old Nashville charm. You can kind of see a difference between the old Nashville and what's kind of becoming, I guess, what some people call the new Nashville because there's just been this insane growth here for the last decade. Um, so I, I don't. It's just a very interesting city. I like it. And as far as the high school sports, I mean, awesome high school scene. I remember. Uh, I, I guess my first takeaway from football was just kind of in addition to having a lot a really talented kind of prep area, you know, with the, I think the, the growth in population has really lent itself to a lot of power five recruits and, and players that who even are power five recruits who are really good. Um, the town, the football is good. I, I love the football student sections. I mean, they're just, it's a little bit different. I'm not used to there being big subwoofers and speakers kind of blasting uh, songs from the student section uh, during plays. That's a little different here. I thought it was cool. I mean, was, um, I saw a video. Somebody showed me a video from last year's, I think, Brentwood Ravenwood boys basketball game. Looks like the basketball crowds in a normal year are really awesome for rivalries like that. So, I mean, I, I think the, there's as much to cover here um, as, as anywhere in terms of high school stories and stuff. So that's – I've had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I'm not from a hockey city or state, so – Last week, um, going to the Preds Cup between NBA and, and Brentwood was was really cool. I mean, I I think it was really neat how how into the how into that the fans all are, and obviously a lot of that has to do with the Predators. And you're kind of a product of that because you're you're a former high school hockey player yourself. Yeah, you know it it is something that is unique to Nashville when, when you're talking about Tennessee because there really aren't any high school teams in East or West Tennessee. There there used to be a few, and there may still be a few club teams it's all concentrated here in Nashville and we're, we're continuing to see more and more ranks pop up. Like when I played, you know, six or seven years ago, we had Centennial Sportsplex there in Nashville and we had a game Sportsplex in Franklin. But since then there's now two Ford ice centers, one in Antioch, one in Bellevue. I know Clarksville uh, is working on, working on some rinks right now, getting those built part of their new arena that they're building downtown. And then Sumner County, there's a, there's some plans in the works that are going through some the various government channels to be approved right there on the Hendersonville Gallatin line. Then I believe I saw last fall, somebody in Williamson County is working to bring a rink back to Williamson County because A-game Sportsplex and Franklin closed. So yeah, between the Predators and that, and the Predators investing in the various rinks, that has led to a, quite a bit of, of hockey interest. And I think also it helps too when you've got 
you know, plenty of transplants moving down from Michigan or New York or Pennsylvania, uh-huh. uh, kind of bringing their love of hockey with them. And so that's, yeah, all of a sudden you've got places like NBA and Brentwood that are bidding out really good hockey teams, really good hockey players. So that is kind of a unique part uh, to the high school scene that we have here is the ice hockey stuff. Yeah, I, d- I think organic growth in any sport is kind of fun to watch. I, I don't know. I mean, it, there's so many good things that come along with it. You know, I, it's hard to find any negatives when a sport grows in an area. Uh, it's something to keep kids busy and um, breeds more interest in a team that's entrenched here at a, at kind of a professional level, at the professional level. So it's a yeah, it's. I'm sure it's been cool to watch for you. For me, I'm just showing up and seeing that and kind of pleasantly surprised about how interested people are in hockey in the South. Uh, I, I figured they would be because of the Predators, but it, I think what I didn't plan for was how the high school hockey, how, how high school hockey is, is well followed. So that, I think that's really cool. And one of these days, whenever things get back to normal, you'll be able to go to a Preds game and get the full atmosphere. I know right now they're letting in a few fans, uh, but someday you'll have to put, you got that on your bucket list. I know to, to go there and to be at a South yeah. game especially playoffs too. I mean, there's really, it's hard to find a comparison to just how loud that arena gets and how exciting um, it is just for the whole town, especially like thinking back to the Stanley cup run in 2017, I almost have to remind myself that even happened because uh, it feels kind of like a dream now with the team struggling, but uh, man, that, that really brought the whole city together and had everybody behind one cause in a way that I just haven't seen in, in any other. Field. There's nothing like there's nothing like a professional playoff run, you know, when a deep playoff run uh, in a in any city. But um, like the Oklahoma City Thunder had a couple of those, and in, in a small market, I don't know if where Nashville's. They're kind of like a more of a mid-sized market, and on their way to maybe a large market. I don't really, I don't know, but like in a small market like Oklahoma City, I mean, it just takes over. I mean, it's just um, complete playoff fever i mean everybody's into it and so it's there's yeah there's nothing like it yeah but that was a lot of fun back in the uh the russell westbrook days and speaking of basketball uh let's let's shift gears here to high school basketball i know uh this week we're recording this on a tuesday we don't really know uh what this week's gonna look like right now i know i am snowed in and iced in not able to get out of my driveway tyler i'm assuming it's similar with you and as far as we know, all of these district tournament games that were going to be played this week are kind of just on hold until whenever the weather allows it. There's not really any makeups penciled or pinned in yet. Yeah, just we're too, we're kind of too in the middle of this winter system to know what's going to happen. So it'll be kind of interesting to see when all that starts back up. But I, what we do know is, Russell, you know, last year playoffs were cut short. This year we're going to have a postseason, you know, I mean, uh, COVID last year stopped a, the state tournament from happening, but you're going to get that this year. We're, we're going to get that this year. So what, um, after not covering the state tournament last year and, and having kind of a little bit of a, a break, what are you, what, what are you most excited about in basketball playoffs in general? And what are you kind of, um, how excited are you to just see the, the full postseason come back after, after a year off? Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Of course, I think they played maybe the first round of the girls' tournament, and it was that day that, that you kind of alluded to earlier when the whole sporting world stopped, the NBA stopped. Okay, so they got a day in. They got a yeah, day they in. got literally just one day of the girls' tournament. And then oh, okay. They, I guess there was talk that maybe they could play the next day without fans or something, but then, of course, you know, you know how that story went. Mm-hmm. They didn't play any of that. Uh, but I think it's going to be great, you know, for uh, especially for all these teams that 
a lot of them qualified for state last year and never got to play. And so any, any team that has a chance to make it back and to, mm-hmm. to get that opportunity again, I think I'm, you know, we're not pulling for anybody as, as reporters, but uh, it would make a great story if, if one of those teams that really got the short end of the stick last year could, could get it back to state and kind of make a run. So I'm looking forward to that. And then on top of that, I mean, there's a lot of teams here in middle Tennessee that have a chance to, uh, to take some hardware home. There's going to be, Five, as always, there's gonna be five state champions um, between the girls or the girls, five boys state champions and five girls state champions. So ten total. Make sure my math there is right. That's why I'm not in a science related field or math related field. I'm doing journalism. Five plus five is ten. So there's gonna be ten titles handed out, and I think I can confirm that math. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I just I just did it on my calculator. Okay. Yeah, you whipped the phone out real quick just to make sure. Yeah. I appreciate that. But yeah, I, I definitely think that there's going to be several Middle Tennessee teams that are going to come out on top here. And, uh, you know, they, they released the final Associated Press polls uh, yesterday. And with introduction of Main Street Nashville, we're na- now going to have a vote in these polls, which is going to be which is going to be nice. But uh, yeah, when you look at the boys polls, for instance, in AAA, you've got Siegel at number three and Franklin at number four. So both those teams are very much in the hunt. Double A boys, Upperman number two, Creekwood number eight, single A, you've got Clay County at number two, Richland n- number three, Loretto number four, Summertown six, uh, Joe Burns seven. So there's a lot of teams kind of on the outskirts of the Nashville area that have a chance there. And then D2 double A, um, that's going to be, I think that one's wide open. You've got NBA at number three, BA, Brentwood Academy that is at number four. And then D2 single A boys is one I'm really keyed in on here. You got CPA at number one. Good Pasture number three, you know, Good Pasture has never won a state title. CPA uh, has won a few, but it's been a while, at least several years since they've won. If we could get an all Middle Tennessee final there, I think that'd be really exciting. We'll see how that shakes out. And then when you look at the girls' side, you've got in AAA number three Coffee County, number four Blackman, number five Brentwood, number seven Lebanon, and number nine Riverdale. So the AAA girls' tournament could could well be packed with with teams that we cover. Double um, A, you've got number two Upperman. Uh, number five, Macon County, number eight, Creekwood, and number nine, Westmoreland, and then number 10, York Institute. Single A, again, you've got Summertown at number two, Loretto number five, Houston County seven, Joe Burns 10, uh, and then D2 AA, number one, Innsworth, who just suffered their first loss in like a couple of seasons the other day. I think they'd won almost 60 games in a row or something. Finally lost the other day. That's insane. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I don't know how they pulled that off, but a lot of talent over there at Innsworth. Uh, and right behind them in number two is Brentwood Academy. And then number four, Father Ryan. And then a D2 single A, there's number three, Web School, Bell Buckle. And I got to cover one of their games, did a feature on Lachey Dwyer, their point guard that's going to Miami. Really great player. So they've certainly got a chance too. And I think between all those teams I just listed, maybe maybe some others, if somebody makes a Cinderella run, um, there are a lot of teams that have a chance to, to get to Murfreesboro or to get to Cookville and to, uh, to potentially come out on top. Well, let me, let me ask you this, not to spring this on you because this wasn't really on our agenda, but based on what you just told me, you've been covering the area for a while. Where does this crop of Middle Tennessee teams stand compared to maybe recent years as far as contenders, talent? Do you look at this as a normal, like a normal crop of the Middle Tennessee teams? Is it above average, way above average, yeah, below that's, average? That's tough because I'm not going to pretend that I've been covering the Middle Tennessee area at large for too long here but with the amount of talent in middle tennessee that's that's here especially on the it seems like on the girls side i mean i've just read off a ton of teams there in triple a and double a um i would say this is probably an above average year as far as contenders and everything 
and I know we'll get to this in a second, but of course the Metro Nashville teams, you know, they're not firing all cylinders yet just because they've had a, a shortened season. But then, you know, you look at West Tennessee and then the Memphis teams are not playing. The, the Memphis um, Shelby County schools aren't playing. So that really kind of opens things up in, tr- in a couple of these districts, a couple of these classifications for maybe some middle Tennessee teams that are playing. So I kind of view that as maybe a wash. Yeah, I'd say probably probably an above average, but um, you know, it seems like every year they're we're, we're pumping out quite a few teams. Well, let's talk about that. The Metro teams. Um, this is such a bizarre season, uh, but I I know people are just happy to be playing sports and there to be championships. So I mean, I don't want to don't want to dump too much on this this weird year that really it's it's hard to control. But Metro Nashville hoops, uh, they're at such a those schools are at a huge disadvantage right now. I mean, you're talking about having played six, seven games just this season. Others are, what, upward of 20, close to 20 games under their belt. I, I just can't imagine, you know, the, the District 10 AA and District 12 AAA tournaments are coming soon. But, I mean, it's just, Russell, that's, this is so crazy that they have such little preparation for the playoffs I saw Pearl Cohen in East Nashville last week, and I think coaches expected this, but it really looked like November basketball because they just haven't had any live action. It's been conditioning and a few practices, and now they've got to turn around and play postseason games that are super meaningful. What do you think about that? I mean, uh, there's really not much anybody can do now, but can you kind of just speak to the disadvantage that, that those schools are at and uh, how could they? How could they get over it? I mean, is it possible any of these teams are talented enough to to make up for that? Well, I think there's there's a chance that there's a couple that are, um, and I'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second. But I definitely think it's you know it's it's a shame that it's worked out this way for for all the players and stuff. But you know, at the same time, it's really um, it's hard to blame anybody for being cautious too. It's just that's just been the year that we've lived in. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely fortunate that they're at least getting to play a couple weeks here the regular season that they didn't get shut out entirely like the Shelby County school kids did and so they at least do have the chance to be in the postseason um and their district tournaments you know district 10 AA and district 12 AAA one thing that that helps there is that both those districts are entirely metro schools so at least for the district round they're not having to they're not worrying about going up against teams that have like you said 15 Mm -hmm. 24 games of experience let's just say for Cane Ridge, if they play six or seven games and they play three district tournament games, they're at least going to have 10 games under their belt before they face somebody that's got, you know, 20 or 30. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of Cane Ridge, I think on the boys' side, two teams to really watch out for are Cane Ridge. They're 6-0. and Hillsborough is 5-0. and They were actually going to play tonight. That game's been postponed. Hopefully it'll get rescheduled. And if not, they very well may meet in the District 12 AAA championship game whenever that gets played. But these teams, I think, have a chance of making a run. Cane Ridge did not make it to state last year, but Hillsborough did. As far as I can tell, these, these teams didn't really lose any big transfers or anything. I know East Nashville lost like you know a good portion of its starting lineup, went to other schools to play, and that's, that's been the, kind of the scenario at a few other places too. But, mm-hmm. but these, these teams look like they kept their, their starting lineups intact. Cane Ridge has Brandon Miller, uh, six foot seven, big prospect for the, for the junior class. Um, the 24-7 sports composite has him number two behind Sky Clark. And I, but I think there's a, a pretty good argument to make him number one. And, and actually, 24-7 sports, uh, the site actually has him number one in their rankings. Uh, I got to see him play a couple weeks ago. I mean, he can step back and make threes. He can, uh, he can dribble and drive. He can dunk. I mean, this guy, he can play literally all five positions at six foot seven. It's just 
it, it's scary. So if you have Brandon a guy like that, can a guy like that can make a big difference. I mean, right. can help make up for maybe some lack of preparation or whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you have a transcendent talent like that, that can, that can make up for a lot. I think so. Yeah. And then, and then when I was at the game, there was a couple other players that stood out as well. It's not just a one man show. So Cane Ridge, they can kind of get things together. I think they've got a chance. And then Hillsborough, kind of the same thing. I'm not sure both those teams can advance. I guess it'll just kind of depend on if one of them is able to go on the road and, um, and win a sectional if it gets to that. But, uh, but Hillsborough is good too. They, they were in that state tournament last year. They didn't get a chance to play, but they've got a, uh, a guard named JP Pegas. He's heading to Furman. Um, I think he put up like 32 points the other day. He's been really good too. So I don't think you can count those teams out. I do think it's probably gonna be tough for a lot of the other teams, uh, especially mm-hmm. those teams that have lost players that are really just kind of reeling. But um, we could at least see a couple Metro hoops teams make a run. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah, gonna kind of those teams are gonna kind of have to embrace maybe a little bit of an underdog type role. I mean, you're talking about not a whole lot of uh, live action for them, and then also no fans at their games. So you have this weird potential of maybe not playing in an arena with any fans to going into the postseason where attendance is gonna kind of vary. It's gonna be limited. Seems pretty obvious, at, but you know that's up to schools and their districts to kind of decide uh, when, when they get to the state tournament, the TSSAA will limit its capacity and make, make that, make those decisions. But since we were just talking about Metro schools, one, let's, let's cover this sort of strange that they're going to go from games with no fans to uh, they're going to have to get kind of used to playing in an environment where you've got a few fans against you. And of course you'll have fans on your side. So that's kind of interesting, but what what are your thoughts, Russell, on how attendance is going to vary at some of these postseason games, and what kind of playoff uh, is that going to kind of present for everybody? Well, I think the interesting thing here is limit. We put limit in air quotes because I think that word means very different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in certain instances, like you said, like Metro schools, they're playing in front of not only nobody, uh, some of them, we've actually been shut out a couple of times as media members. We're working on getting that fixed. But I mean, right. literally the beat, the bleachers are not even out. Like it is just, I mean, it looks like a practice going on almost. They're just wearing game jerseys. Um, so you've got those situations at some places. And then others, when you look, at, especially in some rural areas, I've seen pictures of stands just like there was nothing, like it might as well have been a picture from last year. And, you know, nobody was wearing a mask and nobody was spread out and it was packed. So I think it really depends on uh, what, where your postseason game ends up being played is, as to what kind of environment it's going to be. But yeah, if any of those Metro teams that, that host games, I'm sh- they're probably getting used to it by now and not playing in front of fans. But one, one thing I do wonder is like if a Metro team is, is ma- in, in the region is matched up with, say, White House Heritage, I think that AA district does match up with uh, the one that White House Heritage is in, and Heritage is allowing some fans. I wonder if they'll say, hey, let's move the game to Heritage just so we can have people watch it. There could be scenarios like that. I, I know you don't want to give up your home court advantage. Well, but, and here's the thing. If you're in this scenario, if you're White House Heritage uh, and you do play at Pearl Cone, you get to play a game. You don't have to deal with the home court disadvantage. That's true. Is that yeah. making sense? So, like, yeah, if you're a Metro team and you wanted to take your fans to a White House, you know, you could have some fans, but you're going to play on the road. On the flip side, if you're hosting – your your opponent gets to play in an empty gym, which I mean, yeah. I don't know. That seems, I don't know if you call it an advantage, but one of the 
I mean, the good thing about hosting a game is your crowd can can get behind you and help. So it's just it bizarre. Be, yeah, because mm-hmm. a place like East Nashville, Pearl Cone, under normal circumstances, would be packed out. It would be loud. It would not be mm-hmm. a fun place for a place like White House Heritage to have to go play a postseason game. So yeah, that that could make things easier too. But yeah, I think it's just going to really vary across the board here. Um, what these limits are going to look like. You know, Bernard Childress has said time and time again, you know, in order to get to the end of the season, we need people following the rules. And it seems like at times that's fallen on deaf ears at different schools, which is unfortunate. But yeah, the TWSAA will limit capacity at those state tournaments. But since they're in such big arenas, I think that'll be all right. Like we'll be able to spread out a decent amount of people at those. As far as the district region and sectionals, I mean, any game you show up to, you might see zero fans and then you might see a packed house just depending on where you, where you are. Yeah. I, it's just kind of no matter which way you slice it, it's just difficult. I think I think there's really good things about different districts being able to decide rules at their at their gym because you know back at the you know, the for instance the COVID numbers are different in some places in some cases uh, are, I mean not so much anymore but when I think when all these schools at first before the 2020 2021 season started off everybody's trying to figure out who's going to make the rules. And I think it got kicked up the ladder at state organizations. And I think they decided to kick it back down and say, each district, you figure out what you want to do, you create your rules. And I think that there's some advantages to that. The disadvantages are just kind of always going to be there. There's going to just sort of, you're not going to, you're going to have districts there and school districts that intersect with each other and are not going to agree. I, I can think of one, not to shift this conversation back to Oklahoma, but this is a good example of why, how some districts aren't going to aren't going to match well. There was a Oklahoma City public school team playing a private school team out in the suburbs in Norman. They showed up. The private school team wasn't enforcing any capacity rules or masks. Completely different situation with the public school team when they went out. And so when they showed up at the game and saw that no one was wearing masks and there was no capacity limit, they left. They left the game. They didn't play. Their superintendent pulled teams off the court. So there, it does create some, you know, controversy and sort of some, some situations. You just hope that they're as minimized as possible. Uh, we're not going to have to deal with this forever, but uh, this postseason. And yeah, yeah, this postseason, the spring sports postseason, uh, I'm just kind of hopeful that everybody can keep it organized and everybody can stay safe and healthy. Let's, let's kind of move on here, Russell. It's something else. Um, Really cool that happened in, the, in in this area with with Garrison Matthews, former Franklin High School standout and uh, Lipscomb standout, got his first start with the Washington Wizards. Russell, you've you've known Garrison um, since his Lipscomb days. You were working at Lipscomb when he was playing there. Um, probably wrote one of the first in depth features about him when he was in when he was in college. Pretty cool. I mean, anytime anybody gets their first pro start when they're uh, when there's somebody that's that's so entrenched in the in this local area. Yeah, it's really neat and huge for Fr- for Franklin High School. You know, when Garrison came out of there, he was a football and a basketball guy. Really um, looked like a tight end almost. And um, mm-hmm. and over his college career, he just completely transformed his game and his body to to really be a basketball player. And it paid off big time for Lipscomb. They went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they made a run in the NIT in 2019. And Garrison is now the first alumni from Lipscomb to log NBA minutes, to make an NBA start, to score NBA points, everything. He's he's the first guy. So really, really cool to see. He And like you said, he got his first start last week, and he's since made two, two or three more starts for the Wizards. And honestly, it's kind of just surreal to see his name right there in the starting box score along with Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. 
because this is a guy that, you know, he didn't have hardly any offers coming out of high school. He had maybe a couple, I think Austin P and UMass Lowell and Lipscomb. It was basically about it as far as his D1 offers. You know, comes out of Lipscomb, doesn't get drafted. He gets a two-way deal with the Wizards, and he has made the absolute most of that by being a, a great three-point shooter, by hustling on defense. He made a, a steal last week in a Wizards game in the corner and flipped it to Russell Westbrook, who hit the game-winning three. So he's been able to find kind of a, a role here in the NBA, which, as, as you know, is just so difficult to do because the rosters are so small and so many people play basketball. You know, there's however 300, however many Division One basketball teams and, uh, you know, all those teams have star players and everything every year. And um, and the NBA has so many entrenched stars, too. It's like there's very few bench spots that are up for grabs every year. And Garrison, at least so far, has one of them. And he's averaging this year about seven points, one and a half rebounds and half an assist a game. So, yeah, it's it's really neat for this area to have somebody like that to root for. And, and he's easy to root for for the underdog story and all that. And um, I'm glad I got to cover him and, and got to know him at Lipscomb and we wish him really all the best. And they're in, they're in Washington. It's been awesome to see. Oh, there's nothing. There is few, there are a few things cooler in sports than the small college player big, you know, making it long-term in the pros, whether you're talking about an FCS football player or, uh, and it happens all the time. Everyone and for good reason gets really focused on how many stars a player has, but, um, and you know, the, which power five school they're going to, but it happens every single year. You have guys that completely transform their bodies, keep transforming after college. And they may have attended some place that was a mid major FCS and they're, they make great pros or they have 10 year pro careers. So I, I bring that up to ask you, Russell, you mentioned that his body and his game have changed so much. Can, how's, um, how much has that happened? I mean, like, like how transformed has he been physically? And then what are you seeing maybe differently from his, from his basketball game that's, that's different from he was at Lipscomb? Yeah, so if you go back and look at his freshman year at Lipscomb, I mean, he's, all, he's almost like, like I said, he looks like a tight end. There's some, uh, like some stocky nature to his build. Um, and then if you look at him as a senior at Lipscomb or even a picture of today, you can see he's he's really leaned up. It's a lot of lean muscle. He's really added bulk in good places and got rid of it in, in bad places. But he's he like I said, he used to look like a tight end, and now he looks like a shooting guard, an NBA player. And so that's that in itself is pretty remarkable. And then on top of that, I believe when he came into Lipscomb, he shot his freshman year about thirty four percent from three. As a senior, is like forty one or forty two, and now in the NBA. Through his 37 NBA games over the last two seasons, he's he's hitting 41% from three. So he made a huge leap from the beginning of his college career to the end of it in three-point percentage, and he's continued that in the NBA, even though they're backing up the line a little bit, and he's going against, obviously, a lot better competition. So that has been really impressive. And then, you know, over the course of the career, he's, he's matured quite a bit, too. And, uh, you know, maybe freshman or sophomore year at Lipscomb, he would – he liked to get into it with other players and – you know, maybe there's a technical foul here or there, but he's he's really got control of his game now, and he looks like he belongs out there with all these other NBA guys. Which sometimes I still have to like do a double take and just be like, ah, that's Garrison out there, and he's he's making it happen. So it's it's really been neat just to see. I'm sure people that watched him at Franklin too have have seen an even bigger transformation. But it, I think it's just like you said, kind of a lesson to all the all the athletes out there that maybe are under recruited or whatever. Like if you work incredibly hard like Garrison did you never know what could be possible 
Yeah, man, it's hard. I mean, it's become such a thing, and rightfully so. Players are very proud when they get Power 5 offers, and, you know, those are that gets on Twitter pretty quick. And I can see if how other athletes might uh, sort of be looking at those tweets thinking, man, I wish I was getting those offers. But every year it happens. Small college guys carve out opportunities in the pros, and you, you can carve out a 10-year pro opportunity from anywhere if – if you're that good, people will find you. It's, it's always the case. Um, but yeah, so it'd be interesting to watch his career moving forward. We've got basketball playoffs coming up, spring sports. They were supposed to start practice this week, but don't think anybody's practicing on this ice. So or it'll be sports kid. We just don't know when they're, <laughs> they, uh, got the short end of the stick last spring and now, uh, they're delayed here, but I- I'm sure anything- they're, they're going to get to play eventually. Just got to let all this stuff melt. Yeah. If anything, they've learned patience. So I'm just going to kind of wrap this up. We could talk a little bit about what's uh, a couple of things coming this week, potentially not a whole lot of games. Um, we're going to keep you updated on, on any cancellations or changes there. Uh, Russell, what are you working on this week? Just sort of take us into your notebook. What are anything you're working on in particular? Yeah. So since, since there's not a ton of basketball games, I thought I would uh, try to do some, a couple of recruiting updates potentially on a couple of players. So stay tuned for that. And I may even do, since everybody's sitting around, depending on how far in the week this advances, I may see if I can do another podcast, maybe maybe have another guest on, a coach or somebody, catch them while they're at home with nothing to do. So stay tuned potentially for that. And Tyler, what about you? You, you got anything that, you, that you're excited about this week? Yeah, I was really I, – I spoke with Naja Akil and, and her mom, Aliyah, on Monday. Uh, Naja is the student who – really has sparked national change when it comes to wearing a hijab during, which is, is a Muslim headscarf. She has sparked national change um, right here in Nashville, you know, starting here in Nashville as far as being able to wear hijabs during competition. And that, of course, it's the game was in September, and but the changes have just started to, the NFHS made these changes a few weeks ago nationally. So really cool that, that that somebody here in Nashville has started that. Spoke with with her, and she's a she's an awesome young lady. Uh, she she has a really bright future, uh, super bright. So spoke with her. I'm going to speak hopefully with a couple more people, and uh, hopefully have that story on our website later this week. So excited to sit down and and start the writing process with that. I'm looking forward to reading that. And I remember last fall when that happened, and when she wasn't allowed to play in that game, it was like, wow, you know, this doesn't seem right. So it's it's good to see that that that's been fixed, and that uh, students all over the, the the country won't have to worry about that anymore. So good deal. It really seems like a common sense change. So anytime a it was relative, it happened relatively quickly. The changes to get it fixed. So I think it's always good to see something that seems like common sense to get fixed timely and get rectified. So that's good. But it was fun fo- just following up with her. I, it was my first time, obviously speaking with them, and uh, they're a, they're a neat family. Well, like you said, that that should be on the site later this week, so we'll be sure to tweet that out so everybody can check it out. But Tyler, unless you have anything else, I think that's going to do it for today's Main Street Preps podcast. Sounds good, Russell. Stay warm. All right, you too. Hopefully, in a day or two, we can dig our way to the road and and be able to get out and not be so uh, stir crazy here. But until then. <laughs> Uh, This has been Russell Venosi with Tyler Palmentier. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you back whenever we have another episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. 